That's it. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm Jenna. And I'm Khadija. Welcome to the Ghouls and Galdem podcast. We've created this space for fans of the horror noir film genre that crave nuanced representation and commentary. From the perspectives of black women, black storytellers, and black horror fans who geek out and freak out <laughs> over anything that gets us gooped and spooked. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Ghouls and Galdem podcast. As always, there will be many spoilers ahead. And we usually suggest that you check our episode description for content and trigger warnings if your head or your heart requires that information. But this episode's content is rooted in the extreme violent depictions of slavery, and that includes several instances of rape and sexual violence. So let's take a moment to pause if you need to turn this off. Yeah, you totally can. You have, like, you're allowed to. Yeah. Because this week we're serving you what would be considered a psychological thriller for some and a straight up horror for others. A pandemic premiere. A controversial film of sorts. Yes, we are talking Antebellum. Written and directed by Gerard Bush and Christopher Raines in their future directorial debuts. We open on a Louisiana plantation. Confederate soldiers are marching all over the place. It's a regular day and the enslaved Africans are tending to their oppressors. These poor people, as we commonly know, are treated harshly and not even allowed to speak unless spoken to. And after an eerie yet beautiful four-minute opening shot that lets us see the entire plantation, we settle on Janelle Monet's character, beaten up and hanging over her horse, but the soldiers tending to her run off to intervene with the slave couple who were trying to escape. One half of the couple is Eli, who watches as the main overseer, Captain Jasper, arrogantly looks down from on top of his horse and gives the order to let his wife run, toying with her. Oh, he's 100% Joffrey of this movie. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He sips from a glass as he shoots her and then orders the other soldiers to burn her body in the crematorium. But yo, didn't you notice the nose ring in her septum? Yep. And did you also notice the gold cross around her neck? Yep. Okay. Yep. But that's just the opening scene. Mm -hmm. Okay. Enough. You start with the trauma. Mm -hmm. We know what's going on from Jump and the shit is diabolical. We're dealing with the worst terrors imaginable for black people. So we move into a dark cabin where Janelle Monae's character is being broken And this man is slapping her around the entire cabin. Like, he's basically trying to break her of her identity or spirit, maybe both. In, like, a Roots fashion. Real-life fashion. Lest we forget. No, don't ever. Don't ever. We'll spare you all the gruesome details, but it ends with this nameless motherfucker branding her. Yeah. You notice how they never say his name throughout the whole movie? Yeah, well, you know what? Fuck him. He doesn't deserve a name. (laughs) So in all her branded pain, Janelle Monet screams out the name that's been forced upon her, Eden. That's some pretty fucked up shit. Because, like, naming this woman Eden like it's paradise in this bitch. It is to them. That's true. 
Yeah. On his way out the door, after whooping her ass, this man tells her to stop crying and that he'll be stopping by tomorrow night for supper. And, oh, maybe she could make them a chicken. As she's sliding off the table in pain, she's got gashes in her back. She's got a busted lip. Like, and the general is trying to make plans for a chicken dinner after he just branded this woman's ass? Sheesh. We cut to six weeks later, and we see some enslaved people work in the cotton field when a loud rumbling in the sky catches everyone's attention. Bitch-ass Captain Jasper over here makes them sing a song to try and keep them focused. But when someone gets caught trying to whisper a little something-something to their neighbor, they get clocked with the butt end of a rifle and told that next time. I won't be so generous. Let the sound of Confederate victory bring joy to your labor. And of course, we have our alabaster-skinned Southern Belle riding on her literal high horse in the background. Yo, you, we don't know her, but fuck that bitch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, like, I saw her and I was like, ooh, you're not. I've seen 12 Years of Slave. Yeah, there's bad vibes here. <laughs> I know we haven't been introduced to you yet, but this is ominous. This is an ominous entry you've got here, lady. Janelle Monae's character is in her cabin, greasing the hinges on the door. No time like the present to plan for an escape. Captain Jasper delivers a speech to a group of new arrivals, making sure to detail exactly how shit their lives will be, emphasizing that they aren't even allowed to speak until spoken to by a white person. Not just that, but that they have to follow their orders from the white overseers with a smile. <clears throat> this plantation is on another level because you see the enslaved burning cotton. Seems pretty counterproductive to me, but there must be a reason for it. There has to be. There has to be something. But Jasper goes to kiss his wife, a.k.a. High Horse, a.k.a. fuck whoever the fuck she is. <laughs> She leans away, and then she sniffs the alcohol in his breath, and you get a, ooh, you started early. So, your husband likes to get a buzz on and beat up on black people all day, huh? Must be slim pickings in Louisiana. In the words of famous mystic Otome Brown, Molly, you in danger, girl. Mm. Eden is back in her cabin when someone knocks at the door. She tiptoes over to the door, trying to avoid every squeaky floorboard along the way. And it's Eli, who's there to ask her when they're trying to leave again. But Eden isn't ready to risk it getting in trouble, so she shuts the door on him and tiptoes back. There's another knock at the door. This time it's Julia, who has also come to ask what the plan is for escape. Julia then gets all up in Eden's face with a huge expectation for Eden to try to figure their way out of there. And Eden says that she's been trying. Like, do you not see the grease on the door? Do you not see the brand on her ass? Uh, Eden tells her that they gotta keep their heads down, their mouth shut, and play it safe. Okay, so big reveal. Yeah. Julia says, I know you. Oh. And I know that you're my only way out of here, because, dun dun dun, I'm pregnant. What a twist! What a twist! I don't really think that, like, any of us are ready for that. Nope. Nope. But, you know, they agree to disagree on whether to make a move, and Eden kicks Julia the fuck out of her cabin. But Julia has a fresh mouth and asks Eden if she's just a coward nigger slave with a brand and no backbone. I guess she did see the brand on her ass. Okay. Oh, okay, little girl. 
So it's dinner time, and these creepy Confederate fucks are marching through the night with their torches on their way to eat and to, of course, be served by the enslaved black women on the plantation. It's giving very much, you know, Charleston vibes for me. Oh, yeah, always. But also, like, you clock the only women that are in there that are white are two, and one of them is, like, damsel. Southern Dame mm-hmm. Belle, the mm-hmm. thing I don't get it. There's like a hundred people there. It's a, it's mm-hmm. creep. Mm-hmm. I don't like the vibe. It's a different form of cucking that's about to happen. You know the type that's popular among slave owners. But before dinner starts, the general tells all the soldiers that they can essentially help themselves to any of the fine sapphire negresses for dessert. Yep, I remember when I was called a negress. Oh. Me too, man. Me too. Uh, So basically these men are sitting and salivating at a rape buffet. Oh, that's an image. Yep. I'm sorry. No, that's just, that's just what it is. That's what it is. That's what it is. That's how it was. That's just life. But one of the little bitch ass soldiers calls Julia over to his table and pulls the old, my friend thinks you're cute line for his, like, the shy soldier buddy. Yeah. So these two are fumbling, but Captain Jasper intervenes and tells Julia to go wait in her cabin for the young soldier after dinner. And when the soldier meets Julia in the cabin, she tries to, like, play on his kindness. Like, assuming that he, for whatever reason, isn't like the rest of the soldiers. Oh, please. This is an insecure young white man with a superiority complex and a position of power over another human being. Mm -hmm. So, like, of course, you know, he beats the shit out of her for speaking when not spoken to. Even, like, you know, gives her this rough boot to the stomach. Oh, man, like, you hear it. It's just a... Like, you can hear her guts. But the next day, Julia shows up late to the field and Captain Jasper sees her bruises and tells her that he'll forgive her for her tardiness this one time. Oh, what a nice boss Jasper is. Oh, hello. This is like, you know, this isn't like showing up hungover to work, right? Like, you know, you've been beaten and you've been raped all night. You know, I won't go too hard on you today, but you know. Psych, it's slavery. Every day is hard. (laughs) Every day hurts. It all sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Slaving ain't easy. No. Like, you know. But seconds later, Julia starts to bleed hard through her dress. Though. This is definitely a miscarriage moment. You know, like her face. No, it said it all. The sounds that came out of her, I couldn't even imagine. And there's nothing that can be done about it. So Julia's screaming and making a scene. And Eden is trying to get Julia to settle. So Eli yells, Cracker! <laughs> Eli. It's just, it's just funny. It's just like it's like the penis game. Like, penis, 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 penis. It's like no cracker. And as Jasper is riding over to get them, but he's trying to distract him because you know, like if you say cracker to an overseer, it gets them mad. And so Jasper takes note of this, but he proceeds towards Eden and Julia. Okay, I don't know what I expected Jasper to do, but somehow Eden convinces him to let her take Julia and go get cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Weird, but Captain Jasper trots his little ass back to deal with Eli and that spicy cracker comment. Okay, so he holds no punches when he asks Eli if he's missing his woman, which of course pushes this poor man to the edge. 
And the rest of the overseers are at the ready, and Captain Jasper is, like, sitting there being like, I wish a nigga would. Literally. I wish. So Jasper sends Eli to clean up the shed, which is actually the crematorium where his wife was burned. It includes her, you know, his lost lady love's ashes. Yo, he even finds her cross in the pile of ash and starts to ball and the tears and he starts ripping off his clothes and like he's just thrashing and wailing and just like he's Mm. just left there by himself it's brutal so the camera pulls away and reveals that you know while eli is inside the crematorium having this really private tragic moment it's business as usual with the slaves moving you know to and fro in the background it's it's a really stark yet beautiful image Mm -hmm. no the contrast between like the darkness in the crematorium and the bright outside but like you know they're both shit it's just hell in general it's all hell okay so we cut back to the cabin where we see eden being violated raped once again by the general we're gonna see a lot of this man unfortunately Sweet dreams, Eden. Oh, God. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, that's the tagline. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, yeah. how much of an abuser and a piece of shit can I be? But it's okay. Yeah. Like, back to business. But after being raped by the general in her cabin, Eden hears a ringing cell phone. What? Like, I don't know where this is going with it, but in the modern day world, Eden is woken up by a phone call reminding her about a flight that day. She's in a beautiful home with her beautiful husband and her beautiful daughter. Okay, what? All right, so time jump. Reality jump. Reality jump. (laughs) We're in a different world here. This is a huge shift from the plantation. We're in an affluent black family's upper class home where there are a bunch of expensive paintings and degrees on the wall and a photo of Barack Obama. Mm Mm-hmm. And let's not skip over the degree from Columbia University for American constitutional history. Interesting. Yes. And if I'm not mistaken, there's another degree from an HBCU school. I think they. I think she goes to Spelman. Spelman. It's Spelman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, represent where you can. Yeah. Totally. And we learned that Eden's real name is Doctor. Doctor. Doctor PhD. Listen to me, <laughs> Veronica. Henley, and that she is a renowned sociologist. Okay, Veronica. Yeah, she knows Go people. ahead. Veronica has breakfast with her family while they watch a news segment uh, of her actually schooling a Republican talking head about the current black liberation movement. What do you know? What, what do, do you, you know, know Joe? Chop about it. Chop about do it, Veronica. Know? Afterwards, she takes a video call with some Southern woman who bears a striking resemblance to the alabaster white woman that we saw on that horse earlier in the Mm. film. But, like, whatever. Pay attention to that. Don't pay attention to that. But she saw her deliver a talk somewhere, and the woman makes sure to compliment Veronica on how articulate she is. We've all been there. Yo. We've all been there. It's okay. Microaggression. It happens. But the vibe is fucking off, though. And Veronica asks the woman if she's like a headhunter or something. But she doesn't really give her a straight answer. The vibes are off, my guy. Mm -mm. This woman is creepily commenting on Veronica's skin tone. 
her lipstick color, and even on her child, like who she sees in the background, saying that Veronica's daughter would make a good companion for her own daughter. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Like, where the fuck did that come from? Don't, don't. Shut up. Don't. A plaything? Like, my my child's a fucking toy, but she don't know that. She don't know that. Mm -mm. You know? (sighs) Ma'am, please keep your bad mind off my child. Keep way. But Veronica ends up leaving her beautiful family to head to Louisiana on her what? Her book tour? Okay. Because if you didn't know by okay. now, she is a successful business lady. Uh-huh. Doing all the important business lady things. Uh-huh. Like write books, uh-huh. deliver speeches in rooms full of people about those books. And you know who those people are, Kanija? Who, who those people, Jenna? Those are black women. Black women. Those are black people. Yep. Yep, we love to see it. Yeah. So Veronica checks into her hotel and she has some one-on-one yoga time where we get to see her super bendy body skills. Well, like, I mean, Janelle Monae did write a whole song about her love for yoga. So I'd be shocked if she didn't find a way to literally flex her yogic skills in this film. Okay. Veronica gets a visit from her bestie, Dawn, who's played by the beautiful Gabori Sidibe. Yes. And the two make plans to meet up for dinner with their other friend, Sarah, after Veronica does her, you know, big speech that night. Oh, yeah. No, props. And later, that creepy Southern bitch that we saw from earlier, we find out her name is Elizabeth. She shows up and sneaks into Veronica's hotel room, snooping around through all of her shit, and even goes so far as to try on and pocket... That lip color that Veronica was wearing during their call earlier. Trifling. Trifling. So, did you clock that the screensaver on Elizabeth's phone and the pin on her suit jacket are the same as the emblem that was branded into Eden's skin at the beginning of the movie? Oh, yeah. Because there's levels to this shit, guy. Yeah, no, no, no. I saw the screensaver, but I didn't see the other stuff. But, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. So Veronica does what she came to do and delivers an epic and inspiring speech to a room full of people about shedding the coping persona, the metamorphosis of a revolution. Oh, it's good. It's real good. Listen to this. The power in the experiences of black women who try to survive within the patriarchy. Mm. Yo, I'll give you my money. Uh, yo, I'll take just it. watch this movie again. Take it. <laughs> I want the book. I want the, the talk. I, I want to be in that room full of black women listening to her talk. Yeah, I'm all about it. Uh, so Veronica heads back to her hotel room and comes across a random little white girl in the elevator. Like, what? No, 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 no. Charlie, Charlie from Blackish said it. That shit's a trap. Okay, listen. The creep factor is instant because the little girl is dressed in period attire, long frilly white dress, and she's alone. <laughs> okay. It's not just that, though. Do you notice that that little girl looks like Alex Acosta's kids combined? Like, the both of those oh, creepy... like those creepy yes. little girls with the bowl cuts? Oh, my God. We need to call Children's Aid because those children look flushed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Obviously, if you see a random child in an elevator, you should do whatever you can to help that child, regardless of their race. But in the context of this film, you gotta stick to what we always say, which is what? Fuck, Fuck them, them kids! kids. 
it's, it's true. It's true. Fucking just leave them. You don't know who they are. And after this creepy interaction, Veronica is at dinner with her friends, Don and Sarah, and we get to see this beautiful power move by Don. Okay, it's a couple of power moves, actually. No, no, no. True, 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 true. Because... First, she schools the rude hostess who tries to seat them at this trash-ass table. Mm -hmm. And then she schools some guy on his flirt game after he buys a single cocktail for her and nothing for the homegirls. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it's a vodka crayon. Correct. It's a vodka crayon. And Don appropriately finds out that if he was smart about it, if he was smart about how he was flexing on them, he would have bought a whole bottle of champagne after noticing that they were drinking champagne. Okay? Yeah, I'm, it makes sense. If that's the kind of level you want, get the level that you want. Yo. You get the kind of man you want. You want a champagne man? Get that man. Get you a champagne daddy. <laughs> but after dinner, Veronica and her friends are trying to get a group photo. Okay, listen. Shout out to our girls, Shauna, Monica, hey, Tuna, and Mayato. We love you because they understand the struggle of trying to get the group pick. Okay. It's a struggle that haunts us at every birthday party and all of our vacations. Okay, so they finally get their photo. Veronica's ready to go home. So she hops in the back of a black Cadillac with the music blaring. But she gets a call from her Uber driver and realizes that she's in the wrong car. No, no, okay. This is the stupidest part because you want to know something. That's why you always check the license plate. That's why you always, you know, when you go to see the Uber, you knock on the door and you open up the door and you're like, hey, is this for, if they don't say your fucking name correct, don't get in the fucking car. Look me in the eye. Look Look me in the the eye. eye. Spell my name. Spell my name. (laughs) (laughs) Sign it back to me. Did I text you just now? Did I text you where I was? Oh, no, you didn't? No. I didn't say I was wearing black pants or no. I have an afro? No. Then you know what? I'm not going to get the fucking car. Okay. Not only is she in the wrong car, but the driver of the car she's in is that creepy southern bitch Elizabeth and Captain Jasper is lurking in the back seat, ready to pounce. Wow, they're good at this. They really are. They really are. Like, kudos, I guess, like for kidnapping people. But Veronica puts up a fight, though. But Jasper and Elizabeth are professional Negro snatchers. You know, so it's, ah, lights out for me. She's trying. Now we jump time again, and Veronica wakes up lying next to the general. Yeah, it's the same day. But you know, it's a little different that day. Because we're leaving. We're leaving. We're leaving. Okay. We're black in... We're black in the black cabin. We're black. (laughs) We're black, period. (laughs) We're black. We're back in the slave cabin. A cell phone rings, and the general gets up to take the call outside. What? We learn that this is some kind of fucked up Confederate LARPing commune. These people have created a whole world where they live out their fantasies of the days of yore. You know what? Instead of just doing a regular escape room on the weekend with your friends... You know what? You decide, let's just murder and rape black people. This is a group building exercise for these people. Like, they're loving this shit. Mr. General, sir, is on the phone talking about ballot boxes. Mm -hmm. He's clearly a man of power who has some government influence. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I don't like that. I don't like it. Whoever he's talking to tells him that Veronica's husband is doing some, like, press conferences pleading for her return. And this pisses him off. But you know what that means, everybody? That means... That means he's looking for her, y'all. He's looking for her. That's love. That's devotion. 
And the general man even gets so cheesed on the phone that he breaks character. He's not even Southern. That's next level, fam. Well, Veronica hears all of this from the window and creepily leaps back into bed before the general ends the call. He places the phone in his horse's saddlebag and goes back inside, calling Veronica by the name he forced upon her, Eden, checking to see if she overheard any of that phone call. But... Veronica's smart. She pretends to be asleep, and this pig has the nerve to mutter under his breath, They will never take you away from me. I think, honestly, that's my that, that's the part of slave movies that always pisses me off. It's like the sense of ownership. But also, like, you are going to love me. Oh, and I'm yeah. like, how about you treat me nice? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I just... You know, I can't be in the mind of an abuser, but, like, because I don't know that life. Yeah, but yeah, I'm yeah. just saying, like, I, don't don't beat me don't. or rape me. And then expect me to love me. you. Don't rename me. Ooh. I like my name. Ooh. No, not having that. Okay, so it's day now, and Eden is back to greasing that door. Oh, it's time to go for sure. It's really time to go. Oh, yeah, let's go. But back in the field... Julia is late again, and after flapping his gums about not giving her any more chances, Jasper sends Veronica to go find her. But sadly, Julia has hung herself. Okay. So I get why this is so devastating for Veronica now, because I realize this. Because remember when Julia first got there and was like, what are you what are you gonna do? Da, da, da. Mm-hmm. Well, now we know it's because Veronica is like this black liberal icon mm-hmm. being on like CNN, like ABC and all those places. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like expecting a real activist to like do some shit. It'd be like, hey, Harriet Tubman, can you do it now, please? <laughs> and you're like, there was planning to be done. But okay. So we cut back to the fields and we see a plane go by mm-hmm. in the crisp blue sky. Mm-hmm. All of the enslaved peoples look up, but they quickly get back to work. And Veronica is like in a trance, man. Like, it's like something's brewing in her belly. Yeah. And like, this this has pushed her to go again. She's gonna go. She's going. So she says out loud, we're leaving tonight. And Eli's like right behind her and he's like, yo, bet. Let's, let's, let's go. do it. Let's do it. Eli starts to whistle the black national anthem. There's a rumbling in his belly, too. And we hear everyone in the field chime in. Oh, it's this, beautiful. It's amazing. It's a pivotal moment of the thing. Like, yeah. you should listen to the song. You should look at the flag. You should just, like, look into little things like this. Because, like, I, 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 writing this, I almost cried. Yeah. Like, watching this, I almost cried. Yeah. But no, I, I'm not going to say almost. I did. It's yeah. okay. I did. Because, like, slavery is sad. And also just being like, we can all do it. And we can continue. It's like in Holocaust movies where you see, like, the instrumental people continue to play <laughs> after, like, they shoot them. And you're yeah. like, we are not going to stop playing Hava Nagila. Oh. You will never stop us. Oh like, that's, that's how that feels for me. So, like. The perseverance of oppressed people. Oh, yeah. Get it. So, the sun is going down and our girl Veronica is getting ready. Oh, and she's got the Murray's wax on the side. She's putting the hair up. No, she's getting ready. That black suit of armor for any battle. <laughs> ching, ching. Edges, edges sorted. Edges slicked. <laughs> gonna, gonna cut you. <laughs> it's late and Veronica has been violated again by the general. And when his ass finally goes to sleep, she does this backwards wheelbarrow just like right over him, just like, mm-hmm. and finally manages 
to just tiptoe across the cabin without a creep. Yeah, let your body do that yoga, girl. Okay. That's everything she's been practicing for. That that's that's her that's her skill. Yoga is her skill. Yeah. And she runs around quietly, and she's, like, calling out to see if, like, people are there, or, like, anybody, like, Eli, anybody. And it, it's scary for a minute, because you're like, fuck, like, is anybody coming? Like, anybody get caught? But then Eli's face just pops out of the darkness. So Veronica and Eli have grabbed the phone from the saddlebag. But before she can call for help, they're interrupted by the two young soldiers from earlier. She drops the phone, and she and Eli scurry away to hide. Good old buddy Dan, an insecure soldier who violated Julia after dinner earlier in the movie, and his shithead friend are out for a drunken stroll in the moonlight. They find the phone, but somehow aren't suspicious, and the two of them start bickering about using their real names with one another, and the general rules about phones on the premises and whatnot. The threads are unraveling, and the line between what is and isn't real is getting a little bit blurrier. Shit's unraveling all around the place. But Daniel has to rock a piss, so the two guys go into the bush. It's long grass. Ooh, don't go into the long grass. (laughs) Set them up, you knock them down. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, well, Daniel should have taken that note, because after his dickhead friend just dips, boom. Pow! Rocked to the side of the head by brother Eli. Eli and Veronica get the phone and head to the cabin where there's better reception. Eli makes Veronica promise that she'll tell the world about this place if he doesn't make it. Mm, Don't do that. You know, you seal your death the second you start making plans for what if you don't make it. Like, if you tell your mom you're going to die, no. Daddy, anybody, uncle, auntie, grandma, don't tell anybody. Just shut the fuck up and move on to the ending of the thing. Don't do that. If you do do that, you'll die. Stop talking like that, Eli. So they use the emergency line to call 911, but the phone cuts off. So Eli says he's going to help Veronica get to the general's face. That's the only way to unlock the phone. You know, iPhone shit. And of course, the general is waiting behind the door. But they go at it, and Veronica cuts this man's leg up. But this is where brother Eli sadly meets his end so veronica isn't giving up though Mm -mm. she beats this man's ass like she is Mm. good like she just like goes on top scratches like she bites she does everything she's out here using axes iron kettles to the face Mm. and then she finally stabs him with his own bayonet yes oh yes the phone becomes on locky and the location pin is sent to her <laughs> husband. Bing, bang, boom. Yeah. She runs back into the cabin to look upon Eli one last time. Veronica takes the cross for protection, grabs a coat, and she leaves. Veronica lowers the Confederate flag that these fucking shitheads had flying proud and wraps the old racist shitbag in it before dragging him to the crematorium. Before she can light his ass on fire, though, Jasper sees her, and with her quick wit, she tells him that the general is hurt and for him to come quick. Oh, it's so good. Veronica lures him and another guard into the crematorium, and then she locks it, and she sets it on fire. Mm. And leaving the three men to burn to death as she steals the general's horse and rides off. Burn, baby, burn! Go, girl, just go. Ugh. So she's off to the races, and she's got some bogeys on her tail. And, and we didn't think we'd hear from our girl Elizabeth again, but we were wrong. Oh, Lizzie thinks this is her moment. She has the same rage that Taylor had when Kanye took her shine. <laughs> 
<laughs> what a moment. So we learned that Elizabeth is the general's bottom bitch. Uh-huh. Which is kind of weird because that's your fucking dad, dog. Listen, it's not actually all that weird because these racists love to keep it in the fam like that. Yo, this is true. We just did an episode where, you know, like hillbilly freaks. Yep. You know, getting with that family tree. Yep. And like, you got to keep it all in the family business. But that, let them do that. Elizabeth tells Veronica the whole story about how Daddy Massa loves to collect well-established African-Americans and likes to bring them down a peg or two by forcing them into slavery. It's a weird flex. Yep. Yeah? Yeah. That's that's absolutely it. weird. Uh, Elizabeth reveals that she handpicked every slave on the plantation except for oh. Veronica, mm. who she kidnapped at her father's insistence. Oh, that's the job that you, you got. You got to pick them, like picking them out of a catalog. Uh-huh. That... How much do you get paid for that? I don't know. I, I'm I'm not looking into it. I'm just I'm just saying she's redundant. That's all I'm trying to say. Because <laughs> he could have done it himself, but you know he gets the bottom bitch to do the work because she probably does all the work. Well, he's too busy being like a government official. He's like a senator or something. This is true. He's a big man. Yeah. And I guess Veronica is like his favorite defiant Negro, so he loves her the most more than his own daughter. Duh. Yeah. No, you don't care about her. And I will say that this fight was actually a pretty a pretty good scrap. Mm-hmm. Like, she got some licks in. She got some licks in. The, the setting, the choreography. You know, the moment where Veronica bashes Elizabeth's head in with a rock. There's a lot of, like... Yeah, head trauma. a lot trauma. of head trauma. Okay, don't forget, Veronica knocks Elizabeth off her horse... And puts a rope around her neck, Ooh. drags her until she hits the base of a Robert E. Lee statue, thereby breaking her neck. And it's kind of good because, you know, like, it's like the beginning ties in with the end. Mm-hmm. You know, justice for all. Mm-hmm. The irony of the Robert E. Lee. Mm-hmm. But, like, her skull sounded pretty fucking crunchy, dog. Oh, like, crunchy out, skull. Out like a light. Ooh. ooh like, like a, a light. light. Ooh. Ooh. After the fight with Elizabeth, Veronica flees the pursuing soldiers into the chaos of a battle, revealing that the so-called plantation is actually part of a Civil War reenactment park called Mm. Antebellum, Mm. owned by Senator Blake Denton, who has been posing as the general. Now that's your M. Night Shyamalan ending. There you go. You like that village kind of shit? Yo. Yeah, you like that? Yeah. That's exactly like the almost exactly like the village. You're like, oops, reveal. The government can be racist. Oh, who knows? Government be racist, dog. Mm, but like we see an army of police roll up on the Civil War reenactment site. Yeah, and we see a contrast of Regular folk just trying to enjoy a reenactment, just trying to buy a Confederate flag in peace, you know? You know, your hot dogs next to your Don't Tread On Me shirts. Yeah. Just a regular day out with the folks. The credits roll, and we see that all the black people that had been kidnapped are giving their statements about antebellum. And the place is being shut down. I, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. For good. For good. Wow. Here we are. Yes, again. At the end of another film. Yeah. Ready? At the end of our rope. At the end of our rope. <laughs> racism. <laughs> I'm at the end of my rope with this racism. 
I'm at the end of my tether. Uh, There's a lot of rope in this movie. Yeah. There's a lot of rope. Oh, boy. Well, so this is an interesting one. I know that there are lots of mixed feelings around this film for a mm-hmm. number of reasons. Yep. And all those reasons are valid. All of them They're valid. totally fine. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. Um, do you want to, you know, talk about our interesting facts and whatnot about the film? Yes. What I would like... What... Okay. Interesting facts, thing that I found about the movie, the thing that I did really notice is that their contrast between... Um, it's like we rented it before. Like, it isn't the first time that they do it. They do it. They do, like, the contrast of, like, Eli in the shed. Oh, sorry, the crematorium. He does that in the crematorium. Then they also do it when Eden finds Julia. Like, they, like, make sure to pan out. You get the little chunk of slice of life. And then there's always, like, this little peak of blue sky with Mm. green grass and Mm. you're just like oh yeah because like you know for some reason people like to always think that slavery was fine and fun but you know those are the people that are the bad people who try to say that but like you know Mm -hmm. i found that a really good i i thought that was a really good thing in the movie to see those types of things reiterated in the film but like again i only find so many things about this movie interesting i will say uh I found some things, guys. Don't worry. I did find some things. Um, When Julia is pregnant and she loses uh, her baby due to the repeat of abuse and kicking to her belly, um, the directors, specifically Jared, or Gerard, sorry, Gerard, was actually trying to put forth the metaphor about black women in medicine, Mm. like how... Like more like birth mortality rates. Mm-hmm. Like black women are going to die. Yeah. Like they're going to die. Like far more frequently. Far more frequently. Like we saw it with Serena Williams. And like you can you can say it all you want. If you don't believe it, like that is up to you. But the but statistics you, are sorry. out there. The facts are there. We've seen it through slavery. That like you know we've also seen it with like the sterilization of black and brown women. And we've seen it with women. like Henrietta Lacks and like, like the un you know unconsented operations on black women's bodies. Like gynecology. Like how did that happen? You're like oh how. Did we figure it out. Well, we just tested a bunch of people and we just yeah. just did it. So he wanted to show that. And I thought that was like, yeah, man. Because also the resort of life when it came to black women and even black people, like, you know, selling and just trading and also breeding and doing all these things. Like, it just made sense. I was happy with what they yeah. did. Yeah. I think one of my favorite details about the film is that the inspiration for the film came from uh, a nightmare that Bush had. And in that nightmare, mm-hmm. um, a black woman named Eden was screaming for help in a way that he described as cross-dimensional. Oh, fuck. Um, which I think is like a huge indication towards some of the structure in the movie. Mm. Um, and he, he, he says that in the dream, uh, in the nightmare, Eden referred to her tormentor only as him. Which I guess is why ah, in that's the why film, he didn't have a name. He didn't have a name, exactly. Um, and that the film was actually initially meant to be a short film. Okay. Now, uh-huh. all this makes sense to me. Because, like, to be honest, I didn't hate the movie. Mm-hmm. I thought it was... I was surprised about how much hate it got. Because I was, like, watching it. And I was like, oh, that was it? I'm like, great idea. 
great idea, but I will also say that like this movie was an hour and a half, and that is fine. That's a regular length of a movie. But again, it potentially have started out as a, like a short film. It probably should have stayed one. Like mm-hmm. I think this movie could have been done in 15 minutes because I will say, where's the character development? Mm-hmm. I like I would say that like the majority of the things that we probably were responding to is the fact that slavery is fucking horrendous mm-hmm. on any fucking level. It's like trauma. today, back there, like yeah, it it's doesn't the trauma. it doesn't matter. Like it is fucking terrible. But like again, we had a like I know like a Kunta Kinte scene is going to happen, but we I feel like some of the slave stuff you're just like, yeah, no, I have seen that in another movie. I've seen that before. I've seen that before. And I've seen and all those things happened and yeah. all those things were real and probably a lot of those things were repeated. But I'm like you kind of took all the slavery greatest hits uh-huh. and put it in a movie, but with a cool fucking idea. Yeah. I will say, I didn't know it was going to happen. I didn't know that this was just a very cruel and kidnapping black people because, like, guess what? That's totally possible. A hundred percent. And that probably has actually happened in real life. Oh, that's how slavery started. They just kidnapped (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? I hear you because, like, you know, the racial trauma as a plot device is something that I was really fixated on. Because, like, like you said, the the story is a it's a pretty basic storyline. And everything that like everything you know, that really hits is rooted in trauma in trauma and violence and violence. Like her friends. Yeah. Like I'm glad like you are a strong, big, powerful black girl. That is a thing that I want. But I'm like, that's her. What's her friend do? Yeah. What's the white lady do? Yeah. What, is, what does she even do? Yeah. Like, I'm just, I don't know. I would rather have them had like more personality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I guess like the other thing for me that really stands out is the visual language, which goes back to like, you know, those really striking images that you were talking about. Um, the small detail of like the nose ring the and the, like the septum, the gold chain like, at the beginning of the film. It's very much like a bright beacon of hope. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like it's a bit it's a bit like the tether in um, Inception. It lets you know that like something something is not yep. right here. But I love that we see it at the end of this, like, four minute. I timed it. It's, like, four minutes long. Just, like, one long shot that establishes the film and establishes the plantation at the top. It's, like, it's it's almost painful how, beautiful, how beautifully yeah. it's shot because everything that it's showing us is so horrendous. But it's, I think it's a testament to the filmmaking because it's, it's hard to not look at. It's like in 12 Years a Slave. Mm-hmm. right when the seasons change mm. and like when he is strung up in the middle of the yard and everybody is continually just to walking work by and there's nothing you can do about yeah. it and yeah. it's like yeah like it is terrifying but you're just like the stillness but there's no stillness mm-hmm. but like it is calm but mm-hmm. the only person is panicking is him because he's, he's dying mm-hmm. he could be dead and actually it's this really interesting fact about how you say about the filmmaking about it because the thing is, is both directors decided to get uh, the same lens or the same camera that they used with Gone with the Wind. Oh. So that they could um, get like basically, a shots? they basically would be able to capture a similar thing to what it would have 
been like back oh, then. Like, you know, what? like they're trying to get as close to as close being to that old as possible. Oh wow, wow! So that's they cool. they made that choice, and like that's it, it. It does speak. That's why I'm like. That's why I say the movie isn't so shit. It's uh-huh. shit enough. It's probably like a three <laughs> out of five or ten. I would say a three out of five. Okay, okay, that's not so bad. I it's thought you were gonna so say bad. three out of three out of ten. I was like, Jenna, it's, it's, not, a, it's better than that. I'm not giving it a three and a half. I'm giving it a solid three. Because, like, there is thought put yeah, into it. I think it's a well made film. I think that there are some, you know, uh, shortcomings in the way that the story is executed, but. You know, I can I can get why it was so well anticipated and like I was excited to see it and I'm glad that we saw it. I'm glad that we included it in this season. So right, it it is like controversial things deserve to be heard. Absolutely. You're like, what is this? You're like, it's all right. Absolutely. If you don't want to watch it, that is totally okay. You're not missing out on anything. There's definitely better movies to watch. Mm-hmm. But like, it's fine. Yeah, man. The other thing that was pretty cool that I thought was like. Uh, it's fun. It's a fun thing to find out is that there's like a whole thing with like butterflies. It's a whole butterfly oh, thing. Oh yeah, the butterflies. So, it's like over. It's on. It's the poster image is Chanel Monet's face with the butterfly over her mouth. Right? Then eventually you do see that on Julia's leg when she's hanging, there's a butterfly on her ankle, uh-huh. and so like I guess these images are supposed to pay homage to the butterfly effect and also the science of the lambs because i guess those movies had inspired him and like kind of makes sense Science of the lambs butterfly effect uh what was the other one the shining i think was another mm. one of his inspirations and i'm like i guess like it is a psychological thriller mm-hmm. and like i guess he likes the mind fuck they like the mind fuckiness of it mm-hmm. or like the flap of a wing can change of an instant. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Like, oh my gosh. I remember watching The Butterfly Effect in theaters in high school and thinking this movie was the best thing in the world. So cool. So cool. We loved it when the little boy swore. We're just oh like, don't my touch God. my fucking sister. You that little boy is, is, he? is um, Gabe. I think that's the character's name in Dear White People. He's the white boyfriend in Dear White People. That little boy. Oh my god! Okay, I'm gonna do a quick Google just to make sure, just sure. that I'm not wrong about this because I'm pretty sure you're right because that looks like or it's the little boy from Red Dragon that oh. plays Ed Norton's son. Okay, we have we have possibilities. We have bets. We have bets, and okay. if we're both wrong, we're fucked. Okay, okay. The butterfly yeah. effect. Look at that, John Patrick Amadori. You you grow up, yeah. And, like that little you face, that little face. Yeah, you grew up. Mm. Okay. <laughs> um, so how did you feel? What are other things that you felt about this? I mean, I like I said, I think that you know, I think that it was a well-made film. There are. I'm really into the visual language of it. I think that anything that plays on ideas of black, like specific, like racial trauma, specifically black drama, it's terrifying to me. It's yes, terrifying to me. It's definitely. why I could only make it through one episode of When They See Us. It's why oh, I shut off. You didn't see them either. No, I haven't watched them. No. Um, I shut off Selma like immediately after like oh, the church God. bombing incident with the I little girls. Oh my God, it's terrifying. I remember watching that documentary when I was like <laughs> little, little. It was in my mom's room randomly and I was like, 
Select, they all died? Yeah. Because they were black? Yeah. Okay. This shit cuts to my soul because I cannot help but think about our ancestors experiencing this shit. And even us. And even us, exactly. Because that's what the movie is predicated on. This idea that, like, that could happen to us, black women, in this day and age. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. With all that. Yeah, with all that. All that, all that is all that. Where's that script? (laughs) Okay, yeah. I think that, like, you know, like I said, I'm glad we did this one. Yeah, I was really looking forward to it. Yo, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Ghouls and Geldom. Yo, you know, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ghouls and geldem you know that is g-h-o-u-l-z-n-g-y-a-l-d-e-m and you know what that means yo let us know what black horror film you'd like us to review next she got her own house yeah slide into (laughs) it you know you like the song you gotta slide into those dms and send us your recommendations you know show us some love and make sure you tell your friends about us please yes ghouls and galdam is a bone lace production in association with two skins entertainment and the editing for this episode is done by who us us Us. dog yes us why Cause, cause Andy's doing stuff. He's doing stuff. We he's, appreciate him. He's though. bettering his. He's 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 doing. He's doing his life. He's leveling up. He's doing what he needs to do. We appreciate you, Andy, and we appreciate that our theme song was recorded by Trom Bowtie. <laughs> I'm afraid of no ghosts. <laughs>